Um, I saw over in the side room there, I guess I um, had two different handouts. So if you got the one that was a full page handout, that's not the one you want. You want the one that's folded for the book of Nehemiah. So what happened was last night, I'm going to bed about 1130. I had my iPad with me going over my notes a little bit. And man, verse number 10 of this passage is like, oh man, I need to rewrite some of this sermon. Something just clicked. You ever, you're just waiting for something to click and then it just does. I would love for my sermons to click on Wednesday, Thursday, not 1130 on Saturday night. And so at 1130, my brain got it. I'm like, finally. And so I had to go downstairs and I had to rewrite my entire sermon last night. And then I had to type up new notes for you for today and get new screens for the new things for the screen. So if you look at your notes and there's, you say, Pastor, there's spelling errors there. There's too many different things. Just deal with it, okay? <laughs> if you were up at 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning putting it together like I was last night, you would have done the same thing I did. So give me a little grace there. And, um, but we'll be okay. It'll be a good thing. Nehemiah chapter number 8. Nehemiah chapter number 8. We've been here in the book of Nehemiah for a while. And you're saying, Pastor, you skipped Nehemiah chapter number 7. I did. And uh, sometime when we got extra time, we'll have Ryan read that entire chapter for us. It's kind of a census taken on different families that were there in Israel. And he's very good with names, a lot better than me. Right, Ryan? Yeah, way better. I think he's great with it. And so we'll let him. Maybe I'll do that for one of my morning devotions. I'll just have Ryan read all those names for you. And uh, he's going to go home and start practicing. Then I'll never have him do it. And if I gave him a heads up, he probably practices a lot. But... All it is a bunch of names. You say, well, what's the importance? What this signifies? The fact that things are changing in the book of Nehemiah. The first six chapters, it's all about the rebuilding of the city and rebuilding the wall. Chapter 7, the focus is changing from rebuilding the city to rebuilding the people. Starts in chapter 7 by the families, their, the census being taken. Then chapter number 8 we see revival start to come. And we look down at Nehemiah chapter number 8. I'm going to give you a lot in a little bit of time, but you don't have to worry. It won't be too bad. Because last service I got done in about an hour and 10 minutes, so I should be able to do the same. I'm kidding. It's only about 35 minutes last service. So if you pay attention well, it might be 35. It might be a little bit longer. Nehemiah 8, verse number 10. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, Drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. If anybody does the keto diet, you found right here that it's mentioned in the Bible. Eat the fat, right? Right there, it says it, right? So the keto diet is a biblical diet, right? And Lori, it's biblical and, uh, and if you notice, you see the screens are a little bit off there. Just deal with it today. At least we got, you got verses up there. You can figure it out and make it all work together. I've been debating for a long time on making this my life verse. What Baptist preacher doesn't like where it says here, go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet? I just think that sounds great, doesn't it? Hey, go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet. If you look at that word sweet in Hebrew right there, it means Dr. Pepper. That's what that means right there. And so just what the doctor ordered, Dr. Pepper, that's literally, and I'm kidding by saying that, but 
Oh, almost. That's good stuff. Man, so that wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be a great life verse? Eat the fat and drink the sweet. But anyways, that's not going to be my life verse. And uh, it's okay. You can smile a little bit in church, okay? Sometimes we get here and we're all so serious. And we're breaking the governor's orders. So we got to, let me just tell you something real quick. Did you know, I've searched, there is no official order that says the churches can't meet indoors. They didn't even make an order on this. You go to the County of San Bernardino, their site, and you look at the health orders, there's an order that ordered restaurants outside and other things, but churches are not mentioned at all in the health orders. The time it was mentioned was by the governor in his daily press conferences and in his tweets. And uh, people don't like president's tweets. I don't like Newsom's tweets either. But anyways, um, it's not even mentioned. You cannot find it. And maybe the state has it overall, but I couldn't even find it there. So you're not breaking any orders by being here today. And you say, well, we sang. That's breaking. No, it says in the guidelines that you shouldn't sing. Those are guidelines. They can't mandate a church to do anything. Um, this book says over 167 times to sing to God. So I think when the, when the health officer, and if we want to get more technical, a health order isn't technically even law because we don't put health officers into positions. They are, we don't vote them in. They are put in place. And you cannot order us to do something when you're not even someone we vote into power. And plus, the governor's powers, when does that end? Can the governor just, as long as he wants, do you know something? You know we just passed, and sorry, I should, I gotta get to the, it's gonna be good in a few minutes. You're gonna be smiling, you're gonna be joyful in just a minute. But did you know we passed a new budget, right, for the state of California, and we're 53 billion in the hole? Did you know that the governor approved in that budget $743,000 to redo his office? $743 million to redo, the, to redo the east wing of the Capitol, right where his office is at. And we're short $53 billion. And we can't open schools because we don't have the funds to help them open, right? And we don't have the money to help those who are out of work but we're gonna spend $743 million on redoing an office. And that's real, I'm not kidding, that's the truth. And uh, man, I don't know what you do with $743 million to redo an office. And there's a couple other congressmen that get their offices redone too. But um, if you're supposed, we live in America and we have three branches of government, right? Do we have three, what are the three branches of government? This is not government class, but can someone tell me what the three branches of government are? Yes, there's three different, right? And they're all three, they, are, they all three stand on their own, but they're all there to give checks and balances. Our founding fathers were so smart, which I think it was wisdom God gave them because men can't be as smart as those men were and how they did things. But what you have going on in the state of California is you have everything done by executive order because the House and Senate aren't even in. So you have one branch of government dictating everything. And that's not how the United States was set up. And in fact, I believe that the declaration for an emergency order can only last about 100 days. But it's going on 130 something. So there's some things to think about. Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet. <laughs> but you can smile in church this morning, okay? God still loves you. He's still on the throne. Everything is just fine. 
Sometimes, oh, we're suffering. Do you not realize something? We're not suffering. Don't even say we're being persecuted today. When you're torn asunder, nailed to a cross, or beaten, then you can start complaining. But some churches that get a few little fines are ordered to meet outside or whatever the case, we are not persecuted. I see it coming, but we're not persecuted. Don't forget that. It's a good day to be a Christian. You can smile today. This passage of scripture, the phrase I want to give you today is the joy of the Lord is your strength. One thing that I find missing from the people of God, and especially today, is joy. It's joy. I see less Christians smiling today than at any other time that I've ever seen. And I want you to know something today, and as we get into the message today, I want you to understand that you have a reason to be joyous today. How could Paul, sitting in a prison cell, write the book of Philippians and say, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, sitting in a prison cell? How could he do that? How could Jesus hang on a cross and die for our sins? Well, the Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. How do we get through this life? The joy of the Lord is our strength. When we lose our joy, we begin to endure church. We begin to endure the brethren. We begin to endure the Christian lifestyle. We should be enjoying the Lord. We should be enjoying church. We should be enjoying the word of God. We should have many lose the freshness of their salvation. They get away from their first love of the Savior and the excitement of serving him. Joy is important to the Christian. May I say that again? Joy is important to the child of God. Without the joy of the Lord, you'll become unfaithful. Without the joy of the Lord, you'll fail the grace of God. Without the joy of the Lord, you'll fall into backsliding. The joy of the Lord, Christian, this morning is your strength. And joy that goes beyond our circumstances. In Nehemiah's day, they were building the wall. The wall has been built, but you know they had a very hard time. You saw those that came up against them. You saw all the issues that they had. The people came back to Jerusalem in God's will, and yet they had problems on every hand. But may I remind you this morning, joy goes beyond our circumstances here on earth. God gave them, think about this, God gave deliverance through tribulation, not from tribulation. God never promised you an easy life. God never said everything would be like a rose garden, everything would be beautiful, because even a rose garden has thorns. Even a rose garden has weeds. Hey, God promised to get you through. When thou walkest through the waters, I will be with thee. He is there in the midst of those times. And don't forget that this morning, Christian. And this is what Paul said in Acts 20, verse 24. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. I want to talk for a little bit of time this morning. And I want to take this verse in context. 
A lot of times this verse is taken out of context here. I want to make sure we get it where it's at this morning and see some great things about this verse. I want to preach on joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Number one, we see lasting joy. Number one, we see lasting joy. Where does lasting joy come from? Well, we just read here, and we look at the book of Nehemiah, and we go back to verse number one. It says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. If you want lasting joy, let's see some characteristics. The first thing is we see the place of joy. The place of joy, letter A. Where was the place of joy for the children of Israel at this time? The water gate. It was the place of assembly. The place of preaching. The place of teaching. Hey, the joy of the Lord, it's your strength. Where was that place? The water gate. The place of assembly. All the people were in one place together. We see the place of joy, letter B. We see the people of joy. They were, it was all the people. You've got to realize something, this was not a Baptist preacher embellishing anything. If the Bible says all the people, that meant all the people were there. All the people as one man, uniting in fellowship. The place of joy was there at the water gate. The people all together. Letter C. The preaching of joy. Verse number 8, the Bible tells here, So they read in the book and the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. We see the preaching of joy. The book was read, the Bible, distinctly. It was explained explicitly. And it was understood universally by all the people. The preaching of joy, which leads us to letter D. The purpose of joy. What was the purpose? Well, look at verse number 9. Halfway down it says, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. I think the purpose of joy, if you read through verse 9 through verse 14, is holiness and strength. A holy, happy people is the result of Christian joy. And then we see down in verse number 15, we see letter E, we see the publishing of joy. And they that should publish and proclaim in all their cities in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mount and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths, as it is written. Joy caused the world to see and seek what the child of God has. Joy. I see a lot of things about joy in this passage of Scripture. Let's think for ourselves. The place of joy was their assembling. Isn't that what church is? That's what church is. That's what we've been missing out on. I tell you, the 12 weeks that we didn't have service, I hated those Sundays. Sunday's my favorite day of the week. This morning, I love it. I know we're, we're still very low the past couple weeks with people, but I love meeting with God's people. That makes Sunday exciting. There's joy in it. Preaching in front of a camera, there's no joy. There's, there was, some of you might have liked the drive-up service outside. There was no joy in that for me. You were all stuck in your cars. There was no joy. The joy was the people of God assembling together. The, 
people together. That's what God calls. That's a church, a called out assembly. And you say, why is it important that we meet as a church? The church, the church can be anywhere. I can be in church by being at home. Internet is not church. Those that need to do it for now, I get it. But you're not in church. You're at home in your pajamas drinking your coffee right now. And some of you are like, hey, we might like that. The purpose of church is a called out assembly. It's the people meeting. Why is it important to meet? Because the Bible says so. That's why. Well, why? Because the, pa the pastor needs your offerings. That's what some people say. No, there's online giving if you want to do that. <laughs> then why, why do we need to meet? Because the Bible says that we're not supposed to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And what does it say right before that? It says right before that that we're supposed to be provoking one another to good works. And you can't provoke one another to good works if you're not around each other. And, oh, let's just take time out indefinitely because of health crisis going on. I had someone tell me, Pastor, you shouldn't open up the church because people are going to die. I think the virus is real. I'm not one of those that's a conspiracy person. But go to the CDC website. You had more of a chance dying driving to church this morning than you do dying in this room. There's more of a chance of you dying in a car wreck than you dying of COVID. Well, Skyler's got a license now, so maybe there's... That, those odds went up even higher than what they were before of dying in a car. And uh, thank God she lives on the property, so all of you were safe this morning from Skyler. Congratulations, by the way, on getting your driver's license, Skyler. And so... I just thought I'd throw that in there. But please um, text me before you go on the road so I know to stay home and not go out. All right? And she's not even looking at me. I helped you get your license. You're a good driver because I helped you. So you're in good shape. And uh, But we look at these things. Joy. We need joy. It's good to smile. Right now, there's not a lot of things to smile about. Turn on the news at night. Do they give you anything to smile about? They talk about anything good. Baseball. Baseball scores, but then they show, but then they got to show us the ones who kneel down during the national anthem. Yeah, that's right. And make it, or you could be in the WNBA, and the most, you know, the most exciting thing that they did in the WNBA yesterday was during the national anthem they all walked off the court. And I say it was more exciting than walking off the court because them playing, there's nothing exciting about that. But anyways, they national anthem starts, they all walked off the court as a statement. And if sports keeps it up, I am the biggest sports junkie around. There's not many of you that like sports more than I do. But if these players keep doing what they're doing, I'm going to be done with sports. I'm trying to, I'm trying, I, I just love, I love sports. The Lakers need to win the championship, but LeBron needs to shut his mouth. But anyways, I, you know, just play basketball. All the, and the social injustice and all that stuff. There's not much joy in our world today anywhere. And you almost, some people feel guilty to smile because no one else is smiling. You gotta understand something. Christian, you have the Lord. You can have joy today. You say, well what happens here? Well in this passage of scripture, the wall is complete. They're reading and it's interesting, the people asked Ezra to read the books of the law. So he's reading Genesis through Deuteronomy. Ezra is. He's standing on a pulpit of wood that's where we get the idea of a pulpit from the book of Ezra, from the book of Nehemiah here. And what we see happen is we see the people hear the word of God and they're crying and they're weeping. 
And Nehemiah tells them, hey, weep not. What are you weeping for? And you go back, you look at our text, you still got your Bibles there, you go up a couple verses, go to verse number 8 and 9, it says, So they read in the, by, in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, and it says, And Ezra the priest and the Levites that taught the people said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God, mourn not nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them as they're weeping. This is where this comes into it. Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet. And send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord. Neither be ye sorry. Don't be upset. Don't be crying about it. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Hey, what are you crying about, Israel? And you've got to understand. You've got to look at it in context. Probably the first time they'd heard the word of God in a while. They probably missed it. That could have been part of their tears. I think there's also some conviction. And the conviction was on them. And they're weeping. And how to have lasting joy. Number two, what joy does. What can joy do in the life of a believer? Let me give you a few thoughts, and then we're going to get back to this passage and get the rest of this here. The first thing is letter A. Joy changes duty into delight. Far too many Christians are serving God out of duty. Reading their Bible out of duty and not out of delight. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 18 through 20, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. But look at this, but Satan hindered us. Hey, do you see? Paul was being hindered by Satan 2,000 years ago. What do you think Satan's trying to do today? He's still trying to hinder. And Paul says, for what is our hope? Or joy, our crown of rejoicing. Are not even ye in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Paul said, I've been hindered by Satan, but I still want to get to you. He had joy. It wasn't, oh, I've got to come talk to you because that's what the Lord wants me to do. No, joy turns duty into delight. Is it drudgery or delight to live for God? Is it a duty or desire to come to church this morning? Joy changes duty into delight. Letter B, joy changes persecution into privilege. Joy changes persecution into privilege. Acts chapter number 5, verse 40 through verse 42. And I get so sick and tired today. I hear so many Christians, we need to do Romans 13. Romans 13, we're supposed to submit to those in authority. And I believe in Romans 13, 100%. It's in the Bible. I believe it's true. But all those pansy Christians, noodle-back Christians that have no spine, that couldn't stand up for anything, forget about Acts chapter number 5. We will obey God rather than men. And look at what this says. Look at these verses. And to him they agreed. And when they called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council. Look at what they did. They were beaten. It says they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And guess what? They listened to the governor and didn't tell anybody about Jesus. No, and daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So for all the Christians out there that 
let's say we need to do every little thing the government tells us to do. Let me just say something. We need to do everything possible to obey the government that we can. We do. We need to submit to their authority. They are our God-given authority. But there comes a point where this book says something different than our authority does. We follow the ultimate authority. Because Governor Newsom, President Trump are not the ultimate. I would say above them would be the Constitution of the United States. But even far above the Constitution of the United States, there's the God of heaven. He is the boss. He's the one who rules things. And we as the people of God need to follow him. And I love the fact they were beaten. They were suffering. They were in pain. And they, came, they were rejoicing in it. And they kept right on doing it. Hey, go ahead. Burn our building down. The church is still going to meet. Do what you want to do. Find us. Do what you want. We're still going to meet. That's the type of Christianity we need today. Because that's the type of Christianity they had. And that's the type of Christianity that turned this world upside down. The pathetic, noodle-back Christians of today will do nothing for the Lord. And I'll leave that there. We're talking about joy, right? We're talking about joy, joy, smile, smile, smile. But joy changes persecution into privilege. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. That's powerful. Letter C, joy changes burdens into blessings. Joy changes burdens into blessings. Philippians 1, verse number 12 through 14. Paul in a jail cell. But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all the places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Do you know what Paul is saying right there? Because I'm in bonds, I've been able to preach in the palace. The word is spread in other places. Many Christians are stronger, more confident because of my bonds. That's pretty powerful, too. Joy changes burdens into blessings. And joy changes trials into triumphs. Joy changes trials into triumphs. The book of James. I love the book of James. Chapter number one, and uh, we got verse two through four. So this is what James says. My brother, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now let's put this in context real quick, okay? Think with me for a minute. The kids are singing. And, uh, who wrote the book of James? Who wrote James? Brilliant, right? You guys, you guys are good today. James wrote the book of James. And James is the half-brother of Jesus. That's the James who wrote it. James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So the church had suffered persecution, correct? And they were all scattered. James writes the book of James to the Christians that were scattered. In fact, the very first verse says to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. James is writing this book to his church members that have been spread out because of persecution. And this way he says, my brethren, my church members, 
count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Count it all joy that you had to leave your homes because you were being persecuted. Count it all joy. Joy changes trials into triumphs. Israelites were weeping. They were sad. Nehemiah tells them, hey, go your way. Eat the fat, drink the sweet. Give some to those who don't have anything. Remember how a few chapters before, there were those who didn't have anything? And then they, um, the strife that came? This was a way to take care of those people without having the issues that they had before. He says, hey, don't weep anymore because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, he said he sought the Lord three times to take his infirmity away from him. And Jesus said to him, my grace is sufficient for thee. And what did, what did Paul say? That he would gladly, re, he would glad, he, let's go there because otherwise I want to mess it up. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. This thought came last service, so this was added after last night. But look at first, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't have it, I'll read it for you. It says, and he said unto me, my, verse number 9, my grace is sufficient for thee. Look at, what, look at what the Bible says. This is what the Lord said. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now look at Paul's response. Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Look at what Paul says. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Hey, Christian, the joy of the Lord is your strength. What's going to help you get through these days, get through this life? The joy of the Lord. Hey, quit weeping, quit getting all upset, quit being so fearful, and get some joy back in your life. Hey, Christian, everything's going to be okay. God is still in control. And I want to give you, lastly, number three this morning, where the Christian can find joy. Where can you find joy? Letter A. Christian joy is found in salvation. Christian joy is found in salvation. Luke chapter number 10. The disciples were pretty excited because the spirits were subject unto them and they could cast out devils and do all these things. And this was Jesus' response. Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Hey, Christian, this morning, you look around you, there's not a lot to be happy about. But may I tell you something? You can look to heaven and to know that your name is written in the book of life. That can bring joy in your life. And to know that no man can take your name out. I love it. I, I feel bad for Christians out there that think they can lose their salvation. That's what it'd be like. All right, I'm God. I'm look down on Brian today. I've got my book. Oh, Brian messed up. I'm going to erase his name out of here. Oh, Brian did better. I can add his name back. How can you live that way? You can't. 
Once you're saved, no one can pluck you out of his hand. The Bible says that I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once you're saved, you're always saved. And Christian, you've got something to rejoice in this morning. The fact that your name is written in the book of life. To know that when you take your last breath here on earth, you will be with the Lord forever. Man, well, I got so... and i got to be careful what I say. No, I'm not going to be careful what I say here. Quit living in fear. I'm so tired of Christians living in fear. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. All that this world does is try and get you to fear. Let's think for a minute. How many of you say you trust God? Put your hand up. Good. I'm glad you trust God. Then what are you fearing? Is COVID going to take you one minute before God wants you to go? Now, time out. Be careful and take precautions as you need to. I'm not preaching against that. Take any precautions, and some people are more worried about certain things. Do whatever you need to do. Whatever, make, whatever makes you feel more comfortable, I'm not speaking against that. What's the worst thing that could happen to any of us? Oh, we get to go see Jesus. That's really so bad, huh? That's so bad. We have Christians living in fear. And you say you trust God. Get this. If today's my day to die, it doesn't matter if I'm in a car. It doesn't matter if I've got COVID. It doesn't matter what it is. It's my day to die. And I can't change the day I die. God picks it. God chooses it. Unless you don't believe that. And I'm not telling you not to be careful. I'm not telling you not to wear a mask. I'm not telling you not to take precautions. We take precautions. Take precautions. I'm not against those things. But why do you live in fear? You live in fear because you don't trust God. Trust him. If he's God, trust him. If he's not, then fear. But if your name's written in the book of life, what do you have to fear? I fear going to be with that. That's the, that's the worst thing that could happen is the best thing that could happen. I want to be here for my kids. I want my kids to uh, I don't know in our world if I want my kids to have to live in this world with the way it's headed. You look at America today and look at what it's going to be in 10, 15 years. I'm, you know... You always, as a kid or as a teenager, you want to live long enough so you can get married and have kids. And then you have kids and you want to, them to grow up so you get to see them have their kids and have grandkids. And I'm ready for the Lord to come. No, trust me, I'll stay here as long as the Lord lets me. But what are we fearing? Hey, you can rejoice in the fact that your name's written in heaven. Pastor, everything's doom and gloom. My stock's lost some money. I might lose my job. They might not give that extra $600 a week for... Why are people going to go back to work if you give them an extra $600 every week? There's no point in going back to work. And because we have a lot... And my personal opinion is the government shut down your work. They should be paying you because they shut you down. But work, that's how God... If a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. That's Bible. Not just Brian, that's Bible. 
And if you want to live off a government handout, go live in a country where they do that. If, if we keep going the road we're going, that's where we're going to get. That's what socialism is all about. And socialism doesn't work out very good any place it's ever been. People like it because of the handouts that they get, but before long, you get, whatever's given to you, there's always, there's always something. Nothing's free. Nothing's free. There's always something to it. Like, I, like people, hey, we might get another stimulus check. And there goes another trillion dollars of debt. How are we ever going to pay the debt off that we owe? There's always a cost with it. But Christian, you can rejoice that your name's written in heaven. Number, the letter B. Where's Christian joy come from? Where can a Christian find his joy? Christian joy is found in hope. Christian joy is found in hope. Romans 15, verse number 13 says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Christian joy is found in hope. Hey, Christian, you have a hope. The Bible tells us looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hey, Christian, hey, quit being so depressed. Quit being so down and put a smile on your face and get some joy because your name's written in heaven. Have some joy because there's hope today. Hey, Christian, joy is found in God's word. We go back to our text in Nehemiah chapter number 8 and we go down to verse number 12. The Bible tells us there, and all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. You can find joy in the scriptures. There's joy in the scriptures. Letter D. There's joy found in church. There's joy found in church. Psalms 42, verse number 4. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept holy days. Christian joy is found in church. That's why the Bible says, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Assemble yourselves together. The joy that we have in church, what joy is there? Number one would be the joy of singing. Psalm 95, 1, oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Christian joy is found in church. There's joy in singing. There's joy in the joy of praise. Psalm 27, 6. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hey, Christian joy is found in the fact of your salvation and that your name is written in heaven. Christian joy is found in the hope that we have of the Lord. Christian joy is found in God's word. Christian joy is found in church. Letter E, Christian joy is found in a finished course. Remember that verse we read just a little bit ago about Paul in Acts 20, verse 24? He said, so that I might finish my course with joy. And what was he able to say in 2 Timothy chapter number 4? I have fought a good fight. I finished my course and I kept the faith. You want joy in the Christian life? Finish the course that God has for you. Don't let nothing sidetrack you. Don't let anything get you off. Do what God's called you to do. Next, letter F, Christian joy is found in the Savior. None of these are, the joy, Jesus is number one, our joy. So don't think that these are in order by relevance or what's most important. They're all important. But Christian joy is found in the Savior. 1 Peter 1, verse 8 tells us, Whom have being not seen ye love, 
in whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Psalm 11, or Psalm 16, 11, Thou wilt show me the paths of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You can find joy in Jesus. And letter G, and lastly, Christian joy is found in eternal things. Christian joy is found in eternal things. We read verse 11 of Psalm 16, the Psalm of David there. Let's go back up to verse number 8. It's what David says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. What did David say right at the beginning? I have set the Lord always before me. Christian joy is founded. Set your affections on things above and not on things on this earth. Colossians chapter number 3. And what does David say? Because I've set the Lord before me, I shall not be moved. My heart's glad. My glory rejoiceth. My flesh shall rest in hope. Why? Because he has stayed on the Lord. Hey, Christian, this morning, don't forget the joy of the Lord is your strength. Hey, many people today are down. Many people are searching, wondering what to do. Hey, Christian, you already know what you need to do. You know who you need to live for. You know your name's written in heaven. You know you've got hope. You've got a church to go to. You've got God's word. You've got to finish your course. You can have joy in the Christian life. And when you're weak, that's when he's strong. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Pastor, I feel weak. Where's your joy? The joy of the Lord is your strength. How could Paul say, I'll glory in my infirmities. The power of Christ may rest upon me. How did Jesus do what he did on the cross? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Christian, quit weeping. Quit being all upset, being fearful, and get some joy in your heart. Because this is how it goes. There's not room for both. The fruits of the Spirit. Love and joy. Joy. Is fear a fruit of the Spirit? Is anger a fruit of the Spirit? You get my drift? You can't have both. The pastor, I've just been pretty weak lately. It's the joy of the Lord is your strength. You need Him. Get some joy. Hey, smile. Put a smile on your face. Quit watching everything that's so depressing out there. Quit listening to it all the time. Turn it off. Some of you listening online right now, make sure you heed my words right here. I love you and I mean this with all my heart. Turn the news off. Turn the news off. All the news does is try and scare you. Be careful. But don't live in fear. 
I mentioned on Wednesday night, and most of you weren't here on Wednesday night, so I'll just bring it up for you again real quick. One of the big news stories of the week is the fact that California has the most COVID cases in, a, in the United States, over 400,000. So if you put that in perspective, there are 40 million people that live in the United States. I mean, in California, 40 million. So 400,000 is how much is that? That's 1%. 1%. And so we've overtaken <coughs> New York. Well, they leave out a lot of things. California's tested more than 2 million people more than any other state has. Florida and Texas are behind us in cases, and they're not that far behind us, and they've tested half the people we've tested. New York hasn't even tested all the people California has. But we're not really number one, because you gotta put it in per capita. The state of California, the people who live in California, they're you can put 21 states together to equal the population of California. If you take per capita, California is 24th on the list of cases. Not number one, 24. But the news doesn't tell you that. And also, you even got doctors and people praising, you had Dr. Fauci praising New York for how they've done in this thing. And they've had three to four more times the deaths we have because they let people in nursing homes. I don't think that's something to be, and isn't it funny that Dr. Fauci got to go to a baseball game and throw out a first pitch that was the worst pitch I've ever seen. <laughs> now, I'll hand it to him. If I get to be as old as he is, I hope I can just throw a ball. So I, you know, I'm not gonna knock him. He's a doctor, he's not a baseball player. But that throw was as accurate as all these predictions have been on everything else. But isn't it amazing, he got to go sit at a baseball game he got to have a friend sitting right next to him, a good friend, and his wife on the other side, and he had his mask off. But they tell all of us to do, do as I say, not as I do. My point in saying all that at the end here is, and for those of you watching online, quit letting everyone scare you. Be careful. But when you live in fear, you cannot be filled with the Spirit of God. It doesn't work that way. Be cautious, be careful, but live in the joy of the Lord. I only say that because I love you. When I say that, I'm not saying that to be mean to anyone or to be hurtful to anyone. I say it for your benefit. And as your pastor, if I don't speak the truth, who's going to speak the truth to you from the Word of God? And you might not like that, but it's true. You cannot be full of this world stuff and be full of the Spirit. And you might say you're the exception to that, but then you can go to the Bible, and if we believe the Bible is our authority, then it's not possible. Let's live for God. Let's get some joy. Put a smile on your face. Be careful of the things you do. I'm all for being careful. Please be careful. Be cautious. But put some joy back in your life. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And this world wants to suck all of our joy out wants you to suck on a lemon the rest of your life. No. Go eat the fat and drink the sweet. Have a Dr. Pepper this afternoon. The Lord's good. Put a smile on your face. And just remember, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So when you're going through a day and you're like, man, I feel awful and I'm weak today. You don't have any joy. Get in the Word. Remember you're saved. Remember all the Lord's done for you. And let the joy of the Lord be your strength. Father, I thank you for the time we've had this morning in your Word. So thankful for your faithfulness and for who you are. We need you and we love you and we praise your precious name.